nine years old me and mom were, were decorating the tree waiting for dad to come home from work a couple hours went by dad wasn't home mom called the office no answer Christmas Day came and went and still nothing so the police began a search Four or five days went by. Neither one of us could eat or sleep. Everything was falling apart. It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. The firemen came and broke through the chimney top. And me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa Claus suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney on Christmas Eve. His arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck. Died instantly. And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Hey everybody, Mike here. We are going to join our Gremlins episode, which is already in progress. This is part two of a two-part show with special guest Brian Kuyper of the Movies for Life podcast and Stephen Foxworthy of the Disenfranchised podcast. If you haven't already, go back and listen to part one. Otherwise, this may or may not make a ton of sense. Go on and enjoy. Me. And what oh, yeah. was it that the gremlins ate that, you know, caused them, you know, the Mogwai ate to cause them. They ate like a candy bar. They ate um, fried chicken, fried, fried chicken. chicken, you know, like the kind of chicken. comfort food is a kid mm-hmm. that like mm-hmm. you're going to want, you know, I mean, it's like, oh, no, like that's kind of, it's, you know, it's not like they're eating this weird exotic thing or there's this weird exotic ritual. It's like, you mean candy could do that to me like that will mess you up. Um, the pool scene. Um, that's for me, honestly, that's the most indelible image of this mm-hmm. movie for me is just that shot of the pool, like just it, like boiling and bubbling and everything. I, when that meme was going around, uh, Facebook is like your favorite shot from a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I came about this close to posting that image mm-hmm. like five different times because it is, I mean, gremlins is my favorite horror franchise and mm-hmm. just, but that image and the way Dante frames it and films it is, it, I mean, it's it's when the bottom falls out for me because you realize, Oh shit, these things are everywhere now. Mm -hmm. Like even as an adult, even though I know gremlins, that's the whole point. They're everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like that's where it dropped. And because the pool becomes this like bright fluorescent green and you got the bubbles and the boiling, like these giant bubbles just like coming up out of it. 
And that's, I don't know, for me, whatever, like that's the idea that this one thing is enough of a threat that you're already behind it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's Lord knows how many more. And mm-hmm. that, again, that for me, that's just when the bottom falls out and you're like, oh shit, it's on. Yeah. yeah. Hundreds more of them at that point. Hundreds yeah. more. I mean, enough to like fill that movie theater out. And when you realize just how easy it is to create or procreate more of them, mm-hmm. um, how quick it would be, how, you know, if if they if they hadn't been destroyed that one night, if they just focused on breeding that one night, how easy it would have been to overrun. Um yeah. For me, like one of the coolest scenes, and it's played for humor, it's before you even meet the gremlins. And what makes me laugh every single time is when Gizmo is pinned to the dartboard and they're throwing darts at him. (laughs) And then they throw him down the laundry suit and you just hear Gizmo caca. Like, it's just like, what kid doesn't fucking love that? Like poop jokes, you know? Uh, but just yeah. like the word caca, it's just so great. Um, I don't know if I ever really thought of this before, but you know, this movie, like the horror is played for humor. Like mm-hmm. some of the most horrific moments in this movie are played for laughs. Like listening to like Jerry Goldsmith's score during oh, this movie today. So good. Specifically during like the Futterman scene mm-hmm. where the score is like so light and breezy and like something out of a Hanna-Barbera cartoon or a Warner Brothers Looney Tune. It completely changes like the kind of like the tone and the impact of that scene. Because what you have is this, this you know, when you look at Futterman, you have this man who for 40 years has been saying, I've seen these things before. They're deadly. They're killers. And he's also suffering from, you know, what we would call back then call shell shock or, mm-hmm. you know, combat post-traumatic uh, stress disorder from the horrors he suffered in World War II. And we're going to talk more about Futterman here, you know, relatively shortly. Um, and now this this guy's this war, his nightmare of 40 years. Um, and I've kind of reminded, like, thinking of this today, like the short story, The Boogeyman by Stephen King, mm-hmm. who is like saying, hey... The boogeyman is killing my children. The boogeyman is killing my children. And then at the end of that short story, his therapist takes off his skin mask and lo and behold, it's the boogeyman. Right. Um, it kind of reminds me of, of Futterman. Like, hey, there are these gremlins. They're messing up all our equipment. And then lo and behold, 40 years later, how does he meet his, you know, presumed demise? Um, he meets his demise at the hand of these gremlins that take over this a piece of equipment that has been like the bane of his existence since the start of the movie. And oh, no, it, that's that's his favorite piece of equipment. Yeah, like that's, okay. that's the thing. That's oh, it's never the American one. It's like you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, he blames gremlins for sabotaging it outside the bar. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always an you, interesting trope um, mm-hmm. that I find in horror movies. And you see it a, a lot in different forms is when, the crazy conspiracy theorist turns out That's to right. be right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just watch Frailty the other oh, day. I love that movie. Yeah. And, you know, you have the whole thing with the crazy, you know, dad mm-hmm. killing people and the kid, you know, well, 
in the world of the movie, he turns out to be right, right? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's like the cameras don't show mm-hmm. them and all the crazy stuff that goes on. And, and it's like that's sort of the really dark version. Yeah. Of, yeah. of something like Futterman, you know, but I, you see that a lot in movies, mm-hmm. you know, like crazy oh, yeah. Ralph, crazy Ralph yes. is right. He's right. You know, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting trope that is in mm-hmm. a lot of horror movies. And it's yeah. sort of like, are we, can we see that these kind of people put, that, <laughs> put that trope in romantic comedies and like, yeah. Except Crazy Ralph just pop up in like Made to Manhattan, like you're all doomed. There won't be like turn down service, and then he like leaves and never to be heard. Like that was weird. <laughs> Mike, you are just giving me so many gifts tonight. I really am the gift you, that keeps on giving. You really, I mean, just between the mini mm. Werner, Werner Herzogs and yes. the Crazy Ralph crazy in a rom com, I just, amazing. I mean, you're just you're. I'm, you're 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 love feeding it. the absurd part of my brain. I, I love, love the absurd. I'm a. I just love the absurd. Um, <laughs> but that that. But getting back to Futterman, like that yes. score score differently is a classic like horror scene. Like it would be you know when Bravo does like their hundred scariest mo- see, uh, movie scenes every year. That right. would probably be a scene that pops up just the way it's it, it's done. It's but then you're like, well, we want a different tone here. Like we want to do this for the kids. So you score that. And it, it's, it's a perfect example of like how, you know, Brian is a music teacher. You could speak to this, how sure. music toys with our emotions and manipulates our emotions in wonderful ways. Well, sure. I mean, the thing about Goldsmith and I've come to appreciate him more and more mm-hmm. in recent years, he's a guy that always knew the assignment. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, like we, when I w- way back when, you know, when we talked about Poltergeist, I mean, how can you not talk about Jerry Goldsmith when you mm-hmm. talk about that movie? Because it, it has, it, it taps into that childlike element. And here he's like, Hey, this is supposed to be a good time. So let's make it a good time. And, but it's also has, you know, some of those sort of beautiful elements too. You know, you have the sweet little melody that Gizmo sings, for example, mm-hmm. and um, that's drawn back several times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, then you have the Gremlins theme, you know, which I'm, I could be mistaken. I'm not sure he actually wrote that piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that might actually have been created by someone else, but, okay. uh, it's, uh, I, I would need to look at the credits again. Um, I, someone's yelling at the podcast right now going, no, it's, I know, know who did that. it. Yeah, if our um, friends, are, if our friends over at score to death are listening, yeah, know, Mr. Yeah. J Blake, come on, let <laughs> us know. Yeah. So, uh, so forgive me if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm talking out of my ass there, but, um, as I recalled, it was someone else, but uh, it's just a, it's a really interesting score. And it also for Goldsmith, it's unusual because it's more electronic than mm-hmm. a lot of what, I mean, there's, there's orchestra as part of it, but there's also an electronic element more to mm-hmm. it than, than he would usually use. Yeah. Anyway, that's a little bit of a, you know, a tangent there, but yeah, yeah the music does um, just strike that, that balance, that, it needs so beautifully um, just because Goldsmith always knew what, what he was, what the directors and the filmmakers were trying to get at so well, you know? 
Agreed. Totally agree. And I think that what part of like, because hmm, I almost said something kind of, it would have been incorrect to say, I almost said like, if you shoot this as a more traditional horror movie, Mm -hmm. then I don't think you remember it like we do now, like almost 40 years later. And I don't think Mm -hmm. that's true. I think that like you could do this in such a way that it's remembered as a classic eighties horror movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the reason why this movie lives on, you know, as it, you know, we're recording this on Thanksgiving Eve and we're posting it right at the start of December, um, right as Christmas season gets moving. This is like one of those movies that like, okay, you know, my wife even joked, I can tell you've kicked off the Christmas holiday now because you're watching Gremlins. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, that's, that's mm -hmm. one of the, I mean, it's, for me, it's just one of those great examples of, I mean, that, that's what it's for, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. that, it's that thing that's comforting. It's indelible. It's, it's all these things. And I think it's so indelible partially because it's association with the season, but I think Mm -hmm. that's also there for thematic purposes, this chaos against this kind of idyllic Christmas town. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much going on in just the subtext of the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's again, part of why we, we love it to the extent that we do. And I think part of the reason it's endured is because it was geared to kids and kids came to this movie. They loved this movie and they carried that love into their adulthood. And so now it's become this indelible holiday Mm -hmm. classic. Why? Like I would say on par with Die Hard. Like when you talk about Christmas movies that aren't Christmas movies, it's it's Mm -hmm. Die Hard and it's Gremlins. Those are your two examples, right? So it absolutely is. And you know, I had, I I wouldn't say like, God, I, I missed the segue because I had one more thing. But, you know, we're going to segue into Christmas and I'll go back to other things. Sorry, yeah, and I think, no, it's my fault. I, I skipped a bit. Um, but it's it's to me like this movie, part of the reason this movie works as a Christmas movie is it is unapologetic in saying it is okay if you don't celebrate Christmas. Mm-hmm. It is okay to acknowledge that like the holidays can be this incredibly sad and depressing time of year for a lot of people. And they're not Mm -hmm. saying like, Oh, I don't celebrate Christmas because I'm Jewish and it's just not my religion. It's like, no, it's like, I don't celebrate Christmas because like it brings up these really bad memories for me, or it's just not, it's a hard time of year for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And on the outside, like Kingston falls looks like this really idyllic, beautiful, Norman Rockwell asked like suburban town, the you know kind of place where like they're all small businesses. It looked like they might be doing well. Everybody, aside from like Miss Dingle, like by and large, everyone is kind to one another. Um, but then you kind of like scratch the surface a little bit. Like Billy's family is really struggling. Yeah, you know, like Billy's in he's in high school or just out of it, and he's working like a full time job at the bank. Because mm-hmm. he needs to help mom and dad. Because like dad is not bringing in any income with his really awful inventions. Um, when you're introduced to mom for the first time, like she's almost in tears. Like she has to like wipe her eyes and hold back tears because she knows like my husband is out again. Like what will it be? What next? Like it's it's she's watching. I think she's watching. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful yeah. life. Yeah. And you when know, he and calls her on it, she's like, "It's a sad movie. It's a sad yeah. movie." Yeah. yeah. Which is like people don't 
realize like it's a wonderful life. I think, you know, I didn't watch it until I was 40. Um, cause I'm like, I don't want to watch that schmaltzy Christmas movie. And then I took my mom to go see it and like completely fell in love with it. And I'm like, Oh, I did not realize it's this powerful kind of pro union, pro individual, anti-capitalist kind of message. Like this is a way to now I'm like, I'll watch it all the time. Um, <laughs> July go for right. it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, but it's not just like, it's not just Billy's family that's struggling. Mm-mm. You know, you see like this, you know, when you meet Miss Dingle, you have this mom who is like, look, my husband just got a job. I just got a job. All we need is like, all we need is a bit of kindness. Like you'll get your money. You just won't get it. You'll get it two weeks late. But then after that, we're square. Can you just give us kindness? And she's not only denied it, but she's mocked for asking for it in front of her kids. It hurts. Like it hurts to see that. I remember even as a kid when the kids say, mommy, I'm hungry. And she says, I'm hungry too. Yeah. It was just like, oh, wow. That, that rips my, really rips me every time. Yeah. Yeah. I spent yesterday like delivering food to like a bunch of our, the teachers at our school, like raised a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Uh, A bunch of our listeners actually donated so I could buy turkeys. Um, And like we delivered like, to like 20 something families like turkeys and gift cards for like grocery stores. Cause you That's realize great. like yeah. Yeah. time of year we're like, oh, and there's another movie it, Rocky. Uh, and I love Rocky. It's one of my favorite movies. There's a line when, when Adrian, like on their first, well, it's Thanksgiving. And he's like, yeah, but it's just Thursday to me. Like it's yeah. not, you know, for a lot of people, like Thanksgiving is just, if anything, it's a day to be reminded, like here are all the things I don't have. Right. And it's a hard, hard day. So what I find interesting about a lot of the great, um, memorable, enduring Christmas movies is how dark they are. You know, Mm. it's a wonderful life is a great example. Yeah. I mean, that movie is, you know, almost two hours of the guy getting slammed, (laughs) you know, before you have that elated ending of the Merry Christmas running down the street and all that. Well, that's part of what makes that so cathartic too, is because you just spent two hours watching this guy get beat up. Yeah. And, um, you know, but even, even comedies, you know, like uh, Christmas vacation. I mean, that is dark stuff, you know, Scrooge. Scrooge. I mean, just the whole story of a Christmas Carol is very dark. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's that, a ghost story. I mean, it's, it's a ghost a, story, and it's 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 about you know, and you know, people sort of uh, latch onto the schmaltzinesses of the endings of these movies to try and uh, excuse them for being you know not good or whatever. But I mean, that is you gotta you gotta take those endings are always so earned in these movies yes. and in these stories, you know, um, in the Christmas Carol story, for example, um, it is just so earned because it is so dark <laughs> leading up to that Agreed. Um, over and over again. And, and the very best ones, the ones that I think, um, really, I mean, even die hard, perhaps, you know, that people really latch onto are stories that are, um, really have darkness to them. Um, and gremlins is a great example of that too. I think, I think as an audience, you don't want to be reminded how much better other people have it over 
you if you see like to your point brian like if you mm-hmm. see a movie where it's like everything is wonderful and great you're like well my life doesn't look like that and you're like mm-hmm. i don't want to gravitate towards those yeah. those things i don't mind being you know it's sometimes being reminded that there are hard times that there are mm-hmm. struggles i mean i'm thinking of like kate even before her monologue like she's working at a bank and a dive bar um and, and she's, she's not even getting paid for the dive bar right right you know it's pure tips right i mean it has to be yeah. just she's reminded like you're making very little scratch here and it's a joke um like judge reinhold one of the great 80 sticks you know just <laughs> um when you re- it's that struggle that can remind you that sometimes life can be kind of glorious and beautiful and that's why you want to hold on to it for just a little bit um but you got to sometimes like fight and scrap for that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate's monologue, the great Phoebe Gates, um, who was almost not given this role because of, you know, fast times at Ridgemont, at Ridgemont High, which I've never seen. Still have never seen that movie. I watched um, all of Amy Heckerling's movies last thoughts. year. It's really good. Oh. I, I gotta sit down. I just gotta sit down and watch. I've seen bits and pieces, and I think I've seen enough that I know the movie. But I need to sit down and watch the movie. But almost not given this role because of you know the the nude scene. scene. Yeah. The nude yeah. scene, yeah. You know, um, goes absolutely like, and it's a moment that's spoofed in Gremlins too in a really wonderful way. Like, absolutely, I love, love it so it. much. Like, it's you the know, best. Um, and I love when a filmmaker can do that, can kind of like take one of the things he's known for and just kind of like, you know, have fun with it. But it is, and by the way, like seeing this at age nine and then at the end hearing like, and that's, or if you're like, you know, Brian at age six going to see this, and that's when I knew there was no Santa Claus. You're like, what? <laughs> like if you're six years old and you catch that and you're like, did you? Hold up. Yeah. yeah. Like this is <laughs> not a Santa, you know, cause this is a six year old. Like I don't understand well, I, metaphors. I didn't see this when I was six. It was a couple okay. of years after that. I'm uh-huh. sure but, um, it was. Um, yeah. That story was some, <laughs> you know, I think there's a great Christmas story in the idea of like a kid never being told Santa's not real and then and becoming an adult with his own family. And then <laughs> like his kids never get presents and he can't figure out why the, I, I love the thing I love about Kate's monologue is the thing I love about Dante. It, it, it's it's maybe everything I love about Dante in in one scene because he is able to take these two seemingly completely contrasting tones mm-hmm. and blend them into something that is at once both and neither at the same time. This thing that is simultaneously heart wrenching mm-hmm. and if I'm being really honest and maybe this is saying too much about me, hilarious. Yes. And wrapping them up in this little bundle and presenting them to you in such mm-hmm. a way that makes you feel like, Oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. But also, Oh my gosh, this is the funniest mm-hmm. thing I've ever heard. And now I hate myself because right. I think this is really sad, but also really hilarious. And damn it. What's wrong with me that I'm mm-hmm. laughing so hard at this thing that is clearly so traumatizing for this poor girl. Right. And I mean, it's, it's all of these things wrapped up into one and it's, it is so completely delicately 
perfectly done. And it's, it's partially Dante. It's partially Columbus because it's in the writing Mm -hmm. and it's, it's mostly Phoebe Cates and the way that she's able to deliver that, that monologue, the way that Dante is able to direct her to deliver that monologue. Mm -hmm. Um, It's every, it's everything I love about Dante and just this one weird package. And it, it's, it's one of the things that I think makes this movie again, so indelible is it captures how a lot of people feel about Christmas. Maybe not, for the same reasons, but mm-hmm. because like you said earlier, bad shit messed them up. Like there's something about this that has a negative connotation for them. And I just, I love that he's able to do that. Apparently almost got cut out of the movie. Yeah. Like Spielberg yeah. wanted to get cut fight and Dante for fought for it and yeah. God bless him for fighting for it. Cause I think it's the heart of the movie. Like that it, scene is the heart of the movie. It's also sandwiched between two of the most hilarious scenes in the movie. Like it, it's sandwiched between the bar scene where you have like Ray Charles gremlin and yeah. you have like poker playing gremlin. You have flasher gremlin. Flasher gremlin. And, yes. And you know, it shoot, that would have been a great Halloween costume um, as a kid. And then, and then you have like the movie theater scene, you right. know? So in between these two, like wackadoodle scenes where it's like pure chaos and anarchist anarchistic energy and it's like everyone's it's so much fun you completely like bring the movie to this halt to have again like to your point a hilarious if it didn't happen to you but emotionally gut-wrenching scene like you know dad snapped his neck and died instantly and we didn't find out for like weeks that you know our dad's like santa wearing corpse was in the chimney. chimney. Yeah. It's the way she says it was the smell or it was mm-hmm. because of the smell. Like the way she delivers that where it's kind of a laugh and a cry at the mm-hmm. same time. Like I'm I'm sitting there watching that like as an amateur actor, I'm like, mm-hmm. I must study this scene no. because there is so much about acting mm-hmm. in the way she delivers that one part of this line because mm-hmm. it's real. Like in that moment, it is so real and that's what makes it so powerful. Yeah. And, and tragedy and comedy are often very, you know, they're very close to one another. And right. like I, you know, as listeners might know, I have a very inappropriate sense of humor. Like, and I yeah. lost my dad. Yeah. I lost my dad before I was 20 and I'm fond of like telling people, I'm like, yeah, I'll never forget my dad's last words. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh, it should have been you, you know? And and then when they're like, that's awful. I'm like, well, he said it to my mom. And, and then <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> because like that's what helped get me through sure. this yeah. really hard. You know, my sister used to be a bike messenger in L.A. for years, and my sister's covered in tattoos, which she hid for a decade from my mom. And then she, on the day of my wedding, was like, "Today is the day I'm going to show my mom all my tattoos." Which was awesome because my mom, like, was a sweet, lovely woman, just is like seething. She very rarely gets. She was like seething in anger. It was kind of, kind of hilarious and kind of like <laughs> the best. I remember, like, my sister broke her neck riding her bike. Like, mm. it, it collapsed on her, and she ended up like in a halo uh, for months. And my mom mm. flew out to L.A. to bring her home, and my sister's in the hospital. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, I, uh, Rebecca, I'm like. Do you remember mom's like first words to you when you when she saw it? She's like, no, I'm like, that's what you get for getting all these tattoos. And she's like, my mom's like, I never said that. I'm like, I don't know, mom. I kind of think, you know, 
that you would. So that's how we kind of laugh about our tragedy. Yeah, I'm a counselor. I'm a mental health professional that gets people through traumatic experiences by making light of them. And, you know, yeah. I think I've said to clients, your mom did a number on you just like that <laughs> to people, you know. And I think this scene does that. This scene is so dark, for yeah. especially for a kid's movie, but it just works. And it's one of those scenes that I sometimes hear people, even who like the movie, just comment on as being unnecessary or inappropriate mm-hmm. or not. And I was like, I have never felt that yeah. way about this Mm-mm. scene. I To me, it seems like, like you said, kind of the heart of the movie. It's yeah. the reason why this movie is more than just, yeah. you know, a scary kids horror movie you know i mean it really has something um deep and a little bit heavy about it and you know dark in a human way about it too um i don't know if i care about billy or kate at all yep sorry i don't know if i care about billy or kate is characters without this without the scene because like before the scene like kate is just like the very beautiful love interest and Mm -hmm. billy is a doofus (laughs) <laughs> I mean, his only friend is Corey Feldman, who is like 10 years old in this movie. And you have this like high school graduate hanging out with like a 12 year old who's cooler than him. You know, yeah. he's kind of like um, and Billy, you know, like he's like, oh, don't get gizmo wet. I'll put this bottle of like soda and water like right next to him. Like, whoopsie, completely yeah. irresponsible. Um and you just like, he just don't care about Billy all that much. Do you know what I mean? Like, am I wrong? Like, no, he's, he's kind of a blank slate. Yeah. <laughs> you could say, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's maybe sort of, intentionally. Yeah. It's kind of an everyman character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting to me is that I don't know the, the backstory of how the script was developed and stuff. It feels to me like Billy was originally younger. Mm hmm. And some of that stays in the, into the final film, mm-hmm. you know, um, obviously a, a young kid's not going to have a job at a bank and things like that, but, yeah. um, seems more like a, I don't know, a 15 year old, maybe. Sure. Um, yeah. Seems like it could be like Goonies age. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of get that sense about it. It's almost like mm-hmm. it would make more sense. If yeah. he was, <laughs> you know, 15 <laughs> right. or something. Cause like what, you know, he's like 18, 19, like, I, like what 18 year old is like, Oh, a pet, you know, for Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, like dude, I wanted a Nintendo, you know, right. I, wanted, I wanted an, a ColecoVision, um, a new car. Yeah. I wanted a car that started, you know, yeah. <laughs> not even a new car. I want a car that starts. Yeah. Um, he's like, Oh, I got you this pet, you know, like, Oh, thanks dad. You know, I guess it was better than getting like one of his inventions. Like, I got you a smokeless ashtray, son. <laughs> <laughs> Time for you to take up smoking. Here's um, the kitchen companion. Merry there Christmas. You go. Okay, so as much as we love this movie, um, we got to talk about maybe. I don't. I'm not a big fan of the word problematic. I'm kind of like think of it more of the idea of like how storytelling has evolved and how perceiving other cultures have evolved but really this movie has it's problematic as fuck it's yep points 
And I'll be really honest, like I never gave a single thought to these things until my other show, Psychoanalysis, covered it last mm-hmm. year. And our co-host, a lovely like Lara Honorstall was like, look, you know, she's like, I got to admit, like, I, I love this movie, but I just rewatched it for the show. And like, I had to like Google like gremlins and racist. Like she was like, I was deeply uncomfortable you know, watching this and I couldn't quite, she was like, I couldn't quit. I put my finger on it and, mm-hmm. you know, I was poo-pooing and I'm kind of like, come on. Like, I'm like, can we just like, can, you know, is everything have to be viewed through the lens, this sort of lens of like everything, but she was right. I mean, the reality is there are some issues uh, mm-hmm. with this movie that when you watch it now, it doesn't mean we don't love the movie. It doesn't mean I'm not going to like watch it at least two more times this Christmas season, but it kind of like, I don't feel guilty for watching it. I view it from the lens of like, I think that like it would be if they, if they could go back and rewrite it and redo it, some of these things would be excised because they're smart enough. They weren't, it wasn't the intention of like Chris Columbus or Joe Dante to punch down at any sort of culture at all. But it's well, what it storytelling seems, was. It seems to me they even kind of did some <laughs> some rewriting of it at mm-hmm. the time because, mm-hmm. for example, Futterman never refers to who the foreigners are. He just mm-hmm. says the foreigners. Right. You know, and, and he hates them all equally. He hates them all equally. Like, it seems equal to be opportunities. Like, right. You know, but right. uh, but and I thought that was interesting because I was really because mm-hmm. I listened to that episode. Mm-hmm. as i listen Same. to most of those episodes mm-hmm. uh, of your of that great show so yeah. um but i uh and so i thought i was that was more on my mind when i watched it this time mm-hmm. and um i thought that was an interesting thing that he doesn't actually say mm. the japanese for example right um, it comes up later it comes up and even then you're right yeah. even when he talks about world war ii he never says it was on the pacific front right Never... And, and honestly, when I was a kid, I thought he was talking about the Germans because that's mm-hmm. who I thought of as World War Two. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that's what I thought of as that being no. about, you know. Yeah. Um, but um, but the whole Gremlins thing mm-hmm. did come from you know soldiers on the Pacific yeah. front, and and I know that they... now. I didn't at the time. <laughs> it would have been interesting if, like, in a 1984, like, let's say, like, Joe Dante's on, like, I don't know, like, Phil Donahue, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, Phil Donahue's like, good sir, like, you know, this movie is, like, racist against, like, the, the against Asians, the Japanese with Futterman, he's like, I meant the Swedes, like, you know, I never <laughs> say who it is, he's like, I just hate the Scots, you know, like, that's, <laughs> god damn it, like, that would have been incredible, Um but, you know, I think like part of the reason, like Murray Futterman, he's not written in a way that you're supposed to dislike him. Um, number one is Dick Miller. And if you ever want to yeah, like, I, give I me, think that's the biggest thing that yeah. is, that is 100 percent. I, I think I think it's I, I honestly think that he is kind of written in a way. If you just listen to the lines as they are mm-hmm. spoken, I thought you're. Futterman's kind of like, oh, he's a crazy conspiracy theory neighbor. You just kind of go, yeah, okay, whatever, Mr. Mm -hmm. Futterman. But the fact that it's played by Dick Miller, I think Mm -hmm. really kind of just endears you to him because it's Dick Miller. That's that guy. You're like, it's that guy. Like even back then as an audience, you'd be saying, it's that guy. I like him. Yeah. And I, I think that has a lot to do with it. To be honest, mm-hmm. I think he even more him. than the writing, it's Dick Miller. Yeah. He plays him so human. Like yeah. he's, he's a real person. 
and he's he's someone you know he's mm-hmm. someone you like yeah like and that's just he plays him with just the things that he's saying you're like mm. but mm-hmm. it's it's his just effortless sense of right. joviality and mm-hmm. the fact that you're just like mm-hmm. you you have so much goodwill even if maybe you don't recognize him from something, you're just like, I don't know. There's something about this guy. Yeah. And it's, it's that it's the Dick Millerness right. of it. Like that's what it is. And you know, he's written as a sort of like pseudo Archie bunker. Oh, and yeah. this would have only been like a couple years after like all the family goes off the air, you know, and part of the genius of Archie bunker is the, you know, the show often laughs at Archie Bunker. Like you laugh at the things he's saying, but you also laugh at him because you're like, look at this ignoramus. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's a show you really couldn't make today. No, Uh, or I guess you could. I mean, you you know, it's like you, I mean, some, you could make it. It would just feel different. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Fox News would be like, Archie Bunker is a national hero. That must be, you know, he just says what you're all afraid to. Um, And then, you know. Their attitude toward Archie Bunker would be my attitude toward Gizmo. Yeah. They just love, they would carry, they would get mini Carol O'Connors. You'd get, you'd get little Carol O'Connor plush doll. (laughs) Shoot that around. Would smell like cigars and scotch. You you pull the little string on his back and he says five real racist phrases. <laughs> and then meathead. Then, <laughs> ah, jeez. So, oh, stifle yourself, Derry. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, like I grew up watching the Honeymooners and like love that show. I watched yeah. with my dad. Every episode, like Jackie Gleason threatened to beat the shit out of his, his wife. wife. Yeah. You yep. know, and you're like, ooh, that's kind of mm-hmm. not a good thing. It's It's different. Um, the thing about like Futterman is he's like openly and casually racist in front yes. of Billy. Like it's yeah. just like, and I think to be honest, like is like oh, it's cisgendered white dude. I have definitely given people like that. Like, ah, you know, like they don't really know what they're saying. Don't pay them any attention, right? Yeah. And you see that with Billy and Kate. They're kind of like ah, sh-, you know. He's like, I think you're supposed to like see him is like out of touch when he's like, Oh, I'll see you in the funny papers with little Abner. And they're like, well, that's not around anymore, dude. You yeah. almost feel sorry for him. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, like I try to bear in mind with this character in the context of like why he's like this is, you know, he reveals he is a veteran of world war two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, is is we all know like war is hell and like soldiers come back different from the person that they were left. In World War II, like the, the specific front lines in particular are incredibly violent. Um he would witness horrors over there that like I could never imagine, like the character of Futterman. And, you know, that is going to and at the same token, like Japanese Americans suffered extreme atrocities at the hands of our government uh, and, and us, you know, in terms of the internment camps. But mm-hmm. you could see Futterman as someone who went to war as a young man and now in his 60s, like he, there's a part of him that never left the Pacific front yeah. and that he's still yeah. fighting those battles like every single day. And I'm not saying that as a reasonable, that excuses his racism, no, but it no. kind of like gives a kind of insight. Like my grandmother escaped the genocide of Armenia. 
you know, her and my grandfather, they made it out of Armenia when the Ottoman Empire was like slaughtering a million Armenians. The rest of her family did not make it out or very most of her family did not make it out. Others, some did. In her 70s, if my grandmother like met a Turkish person in a st- or found out a person was Turkish in a store or Syrian in a store, she would slap them. Like she would like just out and out like there's still we would laugh about it like grandma slapped a woman from Syria like but you know there was a part of her that the little girl that like saw her parents or her her grandparents like butchered and her friends butchered like never laughed you know it's so I don't mean that as a way to excuse the behavior but as a way to maybe have so like some insight towards it yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, didn't mean to go there after, you know, let's go back to the nub-nub jokes. Anyway, <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I would also say, like, you know, there's been a lot of articles written about, like, the cultural insensitivity and the portrayal yeah. of, like, African-Americans in this movie. And you can yeah. point to the bar scene. And there, I understand there's going to be people that say, oh, I don't see color. And if you see it that way, that's because you're the racist. It's like... No, Uncle Ray, it's not. It is. Stop projecting, Uncle you. Ray. Yes, it is you. Um, and that's a very specific reference. Anyway, um, so there's a reason why we don't do big family Thanksgivings anymore. And I'll just say just say that. Anyway, like, you know, the bar scenes, you see these huge caricature, like you see like one of the gremlins is carrying a get what would be coded as a ghetto blaster, like something in the early eighties that you saw in like what the burgeoning hip hop scene. And it was like giving a character that, uh, especially a black character, you would be coding them a very specific way by handing them an item like that. Right. Uh, the shades that like the, um, the, the sunglasses that like the, streaker gremlin is wearing you know Mm -hmm. the gremlins what are they eating they're eating fried chicken fried chicken Um, again which is you know the racial connotations there um this movie is in some ways like a riff on invasion of the body snatchers and invasion of the body snatchers you have at the end of the movie like kevin mccarthy like ranting at the end like it could be you next and that movie's very much a riff of like the Red Scare and Red Panic and like what it's like when you buy into like paranoia and hysteria and can no longer trust who your neighbors are. It's very much a a a takedown of McCarthyism in the fifties. Mm-hmm. You watch Gremlins from this lens of like a different kind of riff on invasion of the body snatchers. You know, the eighties, as much as like they were a time of prosperity, it's also a time when we started to fear Japan in particular as a rising economic superpower Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you're seeing like American consumers are no longer buying like RCA or Zenith televisions. They're not buying Ford or Chevrolet in the same levels. Like all of a sudden, like, you know, like these, these Hondas and these Toyotas, like they're a better car for less money Mm -hmm. and they're just better cars. Like I'm going to buy those. You're looking at like people bought, Sony VCRs, Panasonic VCRs, Sony television, like Sony and Panasonic were like the one, two punch back then. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like all of these things that we, we consider so like the driving force of in innovation on the economy and on technology, all of a sudden, like it's drying up 
It's like, we're not doing that. There was a real fear. Like I remember growing up at this time that like, will Japan surpass the United States? Um, You also are only a few short years removed from school segregation or schools becoming less segregated. Um, And also in Boston in particular, the busing wars of the seventies in particular were like, Hey, we're going to desegregate schools. And also like, we are going to like provide busing for, you know, black children from the city to go to better schools in the community because they have the right and deserve every bit of an education. And there was like just brawling in the streets of Boston throughout the seventies, like white families rebelled. And this is at a time where you're starting to see white flight from the urban areas into the suburbs. All of a Mm -hmm. sudden it's like cities became associated with quote unquote, those people. And now we're going to flee to the suburbs and restart our community. And we have the like economic privilege where we can do so. I mean, you look at studies now and you look at the median wealth and value of like white families in the suburbs versus black families in the cities. It is literally hundreds of thousands of dollars versus like $20. I think it's like some of the things you've seen based on the privilege of like home ownership and such. What are we, we can talk about redlining in a whole different show. I won't get too much into that, but what is a gremlin, but a racially coded outsider that is invading these lily white picturesque suburban communities. And within one day of them arriving, the movie theater is blown up. The town watering hole is an absolute chaos. The swimming pool has been vandalized. Teachers are dead. Like the, what's the first place that the gremlins invade? They invade. The school. Right. Do I think this was at the forefront of Christopher Columbus's mind when he wrote the movie and Joe Dante? And was it on the forefront of Joe Dante's mind when he directed it? Absolutely not. Do I, I don't think that either of them set out to make this movie that is like, we need to warn people about the perils of foreigners and others. No, I don't think that's in them. Do I think that like there's like a subconscious thing thing that exists within all of us and do we all have biases and do we all see like whoa what would happen if someone from the outside invaded and took over this little town what sort of chaos would ensue it's the plot of salem's lot what would happen if dracula invaded a small suburban town in the 1970s how would that look different from say invading like london Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that you know that's kind of what you see in this movie I, I guess I've I've never thought about it to that degree, but that's I think that's a really fascinating take. Yeah. Um, there's there's also a part of me that wonders if that might not be part of the satire. But again, at what point do we excuse that too? Like I don't I don't want to excuse any of it. Be, like it's um, I, I had this these thoughts when I watched um, Spike Lee's School Days for the first time earlier this year. Um, And there are some like really terrible things in that movie, particularly with the way that those characters treat the female characters in the movie um, that really left me feeling very uncomfortable. And I read a uh, a review that's like, well, that's that just kind of waved it away as, Oh, that's just part of the satire. And I was like, that may be, but there's still a hell of a lot of irresponsibility in including that thing, even if you are going for an honest depiction of college life. And 
I'm, I'm kind of having similar thoughts now after listening to, to that read, which again, I find very interesting to whatever degree it is part of the satire. I don't think that can be the excuse, um, at all, but I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I, I'm very interested. I'm, I'm going to need to take some more time to think on that. But that is, I, th- I think that's really incredibly interesting. It's it's definitely hit me more like after hearing Laura discuss it. And I would again, mm-hmm. listeners, go back and listen to the psychoanalysis episode on Gremlins from like December 2020. Uh, Laura goes into like a lot more detail and is a lot more elegant, I think, in her prose and like discussing these things. Like I went and I watched this movie like today for the show. I'm like, yeah, these things are there. I still love the movie and I think you can still love the movie and you can understand part of me, like the, 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 the optimistic part of me likes to look at this and say, we have come a lot further along since 1984. We can recognize that and say, okay, if we were going to do this movie now, it would look different. And here's how it would look. I think here's how it would look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the idea of like Gizmo as like an Asian American being the quote unquote acceptable kind of foreigner. And, you know, because he does his best to like assimilate into American culture, like saying instead of like, hey, your culture has value and things to bring to the table and we can learn from that and bring the best of what we have to offer and and, and learn from you as well. It's like, oh, you're going to assimilate with American culture and therefore you're acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um Last thing I want to talk about when it comes to this is like, dad, I want to talk about Randall Peltzer (laughs) briefly, because there is not a better example of like a mediocre white dude that totally has gets to escape the consequences of his actions and decision making than Randall Peltzer. Like this is a dude who the movie starts out. He's in someone else's he's in someone else's shop trying to sell him product like the store you mm-hmm. go to to buy things. But, you know, he's there like trying to sell his stuff. He's told, no, you can have anything in the store, but this one thing, it is not for sale. It's like if, you know, I love my dog, my dog. I lo- no one will ever love me as openly or as purely as my dog loves me especially when I'm eating and she knows she's going to get some. Mm-hmm. Everyone loves my dog. If, if someone came over tomorrow, I was like, dude, I got to have that dog 200 bucks right now. I'd be like fucking pound sand. You're not buying my pet. What you, what's wrong with you? Hit the bricks. This dude's like, Oh, your house pet. I need to buy this from you. And he's told, no, it's not for sale. He's like, Oh, Okay. Oh, this ten-year-old boy wants to sell it to me. Let me meet this ten-year-old ballot. It's this ten-year-old boy in an alley out back. It's like <laughs> much different movie. Gremlins could have taken a really weird. Could have been the end of. Could have been the end of it. You know, the book version of it. <laughs> Man, you're just going to keep coming back to that well tonight, aren't you? I really, yeah. Can't help it. Can't help it. It's getting late, folks. I'm starting to get a little bit punchy. We've hit the two-hour mark. Um, but he's, he's like, oh, this 10-year-old boy obviously can make the, the business decisions for this dude. Um, gets it. Gives him the billy. Gives him the rules. He sees what happens when they get wet, and he's like, how do I profit off this? First thing he's thinking is like, everybody's going to want it. How much can I sell this for? Got to go. Got to hit the road on Christmas Eve, folks. 
gotta you know go to this like inventors convention on christmas eve which sounds right. like the loneliest place it kind of looks it too not gonna yeah. lie yeah. meanwhile while he's gone chaos ensues complete shit show you get one scene with dad where like you know like futterman has been killed um the the dingle's been like shot from the roof and the next thing is like this dude at a gas station trying to sell an ashtray just perfectly encapsulates dude completely oblivious to what Mm -hmm. he's got the chaos he's caused comes home right at the end right after like at basically like gizmo and the dog have vanquished spike and it's like oh what did i miss you know, just <laughs> basically like, yeah. is in flames brings gizmo home dude shows up he's like oh this is the guy who sold me gizmo was like what he's like we sold you stole him exactly and he apologizes to him i'm sorry for the trouble we caused like you didn't cause this guy any trouble look at the town dude Correct. totally let off scot-free he's like i yep. really learned a valuable lesson it's like oh a real written house we have here my friends a real you know like i've learned the value of i've learned a real lesson here i've been a bad boy just like <laughs> what a you know rando pelter is a real shit bag i mean, I mean a, you're not wrong and the fact that he's he honestly he's our perspective character yeah. at least in terms of the bookends mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's our narrator. He's like, well, friends, mm-hmm. let me tell you a story mm-hmm. about about a little creature I found one Christmas. Yeah, let me tell you. Oh, sorry, you go. My bad. If if anything, if anything ends, or if anything goes wrong, turn off all the lights in your house because you might have a gremlin. Yeah. And you're like, all right, dude. Who? What gives you the right? <laughs> yes. How dare you to to <laughs> come in here after being mm-hmm. absent the whole damn movie mm-hmm. and tell me how to live my life? Right. Again, again, you know, it's part of that whole casting thing. You get Hoyt Axton playing that role and you're kind of like, I think I kind of like this guy. Yeah, I mean, you know, joy to the world and all that, you know, he's he's a lovable doofus. (laughs) I mean, you can tell where Billy gets it. The doofus is clearly in the family for sure. For sure. I mean, he's kind of a Homer Simpson kind of sort yeah. kind of character. Oh, God. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this basically whole movie is like at the all the like, basically Randall Pelter destroys a town. <laughs> you could really yeah. like that's going to be the subtitle. Like, yeah. One man destroys like just destroys a whole community. Basis brings it to its knees in one day through the irresponsibility of his his actions and decision making. It's just really, and then he's like, ah, "I've really learned my lesson here, guys." You know, just <laughs> well, looks like you looks like you schooled me good there, Mister <laughs> Wing. Sorry about that. <laughs> gotta go hit the road. You know, gotta get back. Gotta go hit the streets again. Just. Oh man! Gosh. All right, all right, gentlemen. Final <laughs> thoughts on final thoughts on Gremlins. Um, I mean it. It's just I I love it. I mean it's it's the it's the initial entry in my favorite horror franchise. Mm-hmm. I I love this. I love this movie. I love this franchise. I I didn't always. I it's grown on me so much, particularly mm-hmm. over the last year. It's just become. This, this franchise has just become my comfort watch. I've mm-hmm. probably watched both of these movies 10 times to, combined over the last wow. over the last year and a half. And I mm-hmm. watched Gremlins 2 for the first time last March mm-hmm. right after lockdown started. 
Mm-hmm. Like I had never mm-hmm. seen Gremlins 2 before. And it has very quickly become one of my favorite yeah. movies. Excellent. Like I love it so much. Mm-hmm. But like, and that helped me recontextualize this one and reevaluate this one. And I visited this one. I remember earlier this year, there was a day I was just feeling really, really shitty for one reason mm-hmm. or another. And I just, I sat down and I put on Gremlins and the next thing you know, I'm bopping along to the Jerry Goldsmith theme. I am like willing to die in front of a, a of a, a firing range for Gizmo. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I just love this movie so much. I love this franchise so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just, it, it's such a comfort watch for me. It's such mm-hmm. a, a thing I love to return to. And I don't know. I just, there's nothing quite like it. It, yeah. it, there's nothing quite like gremlins um they, they've been promising us uh, an animated series on hbo max for mm-hmm. like years i'm i'm kind of wondering where that's been um i i love that th- they're really focusing on the the asian elements mm-hmm. in there um si chun is the the creator and showrunner mm-hmm. who's a great twitter follow by the way if you're mm-hmm. not following him he's fantastic um but you've got an incredible cast ming na wen bd wong james hong like just to, to, I think reclaiming uh, some of those elements mm-hmm. from, from the first film, which yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to see it whenever they decide to release it. I'm here for it. Bring me more gremlins. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even the stupid cameos in a movie like space jam, a new legacy. I was like, well, for one brief second, mm-hmm. this was a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. And then the gremlins went away and I don't care anymore. No. Um, but I just, I, I love the gremlins. I love gizmo. I love, I love Joe Dante. I love it. I, I I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm a broken record of just me saying I love okay. it over and over again at this point, but I do. I love it. I'm sorry, so, Brian, you talk now. Two stars out of five. is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Brian yourself. Well, for me, the, it's just one of those movies that I can't remember a time where I didn't know it you know even though i was Mm -hmm. what six i obviously had Mm -hmm. memories before gremlins but um it's just one of those things where it was a gateway film for me you know and those are always going to be special you know so frankenstein and gremlins and ghostbusters and poltergeist are kind of those movies that are always going to mean something to me uh, no matter how old i get and, uh, you know, even bringing up the, the things that we have brought up in this episode, you know, um, just make me kind of a, think about it more deeply. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm great with that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to, to say. I mean, it's just, there's just sort of an abiding affection for this yeah. film. Uh, that's kind of probably always going to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I love this movie. I think one of the things what really sums this movie up is you have the movie theater scene and you have mm-hmm. them watching Snow White. And obviously it's a Warner Brothers movie. You could have chosen like easily chosen like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Yeah. But I think the reason why it works so well is like Looney Tunes is almost it has a chaotic energy that is close to Gremlins. Mm-hmm. It makes a statement going like, look, that was children's entertainment back then. Like there's nothing purer than Snow White and and just so innocent. And it's like, it's a different breed of kid. Kids love chaos. And this movie embraces the kind of chaotic energy that nine-year-old me 
that got us booted out of many a restaurant and many a public place. <laughs> love it. I love it so much. And I, I, I love that, you know, we can talk about some of the more problematic aspects or things that we have a different perspective on now, but at the same time, like appreciate how much care and love and do, do you know, I don't do, I think that like at the, creation of this movie like oh we're going to market the shit out of all these plush toys and whatever like i think the first thing they went to do is set out to make as great of a movie as possible and as fun of a movie as possible and mm-hmm. it, when you do that your audience will find it it's, and i think that it's a movie that meets kids on their level and hits all the right buttons and i will watch it a couple more times after this show during the christmas season when i just want something like really fun and scary and chaotic to put on And you could almost see the gremlins as, you know, kids, the sort of mischievous kid in in all of us, you know, that, that we kind of, we would never do that, but sometimes it'd be like, yeah, it'd be nice if we could. Oh, Brian, you and I work in, in, you and I work in schools and I would say in with this year, we thought last year would be like the hardest year that we ever experienced with like COVID and remote learning and no, this year is blown it out of the water. Um, yeah, the gremlins ain't got nothing on these, you know, kids this year, man. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. I've said this elsewhere. If like Whitney Houston was alive today, she would write the song like, I believe children of the future and we're fucked. Like just <laughs> basically it's my opinion on children <laughs> in 2021. Yeah. So Another gift you've given me, Mike. Thank I know. you. So I need to put that on a t-shirt. Please. Um, all right. Brian, yep. where can what toss about movies for life? What's going on with the pod with you and Michelle? And where yeah. else can we find you? Well, um, yeah, Michelle and I are coming up on one year of podcasting together mm-hmm. at uh, Movies for Life. It's been an absolute blast. We've become very good friends in the process, mm-hmm. which has been fantastic. I've uh, talked about a lot of movies over this past year. Um, it's essentially, it's a double feature podcast. Each mm-hmm. of us brings a movie to the table mm-hmm. on a particular subject. And uh, we talk about both of them pretty deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do some horror uh, and we do a lot of not horror. So mm-hmm. uh, we've done all kinds of things and um, coming out just well actually it's coming out tomorrow from this recording so by the time this recording is available that uh, our episode on the invisible man will be available where we covered both the 1933 version and the 2020 remake sort of comparing them together um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's it is i think it's a good one it's one of those episodes where you're recording and it's like uh this feels you got something special one oh yeah for that one um then uh, during the during the holiday season, we're covering "It's a Wonderful Life" and Scrooged. Excellent. And, um, I'm giving one more away. We're uh, going to talk about just in time for uh, New Year's Eve. We're going to talk about Last Night and Night of the Comet. So um, those are going to be uh, some episodes I'm excited about, and we've got a lot mm-hmm. of great things coming up in the in the coming year as well. Sort mm-hmm. of planned and 
boy. If we had the energy, we would podcast every week, but we're absolutely we've gone to the we're on the two week format right now. But uh, I've yeah, I've missed doing every week with this show. No. Uh, I would love to find figure a way to do that again. I do miss the juice of going mm-hmm. every week. So yeah. maybe try to figure that out in the coming year. Um, where can they find you on the socials if they want to follow you or get yeah. more information? Where can they follow the show and yourself? Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Brian D. Kuiper and, you know, you can figure out the spelling if you want. And then <laughs> it's, it's a little bit challenging. There you go. And then, um, or you can just follow the show uh, at Movie Life Pod, and mm-hmm. we'd love to have you over there. Um, and then got some stuff at Bloody Disgusting and uh, Manor Vellum coming up that I'm pretty excited about. So um, always seem to have stuff coming out. So excited about Excellent. That. Steven. I'm not going to let you pitch anything today. You don't get to pitch anything. All right, Moving cool. on. Good no, night, everybody. <laughs> Tell us what's going on with the Disenfranchised podcast. Yeah. Uh, we just wrapped up our October Spookython. I guess it's been mm-hmm. a, probably a month now. Uh, mm-hmm. But we we did um, four episodes focused on uh, female voices in horror because mm-hmm. we're a couple Excellent. of cis white, yep. cis hat white dudes. And Who better? Right. Uh, we're just like, this is kind of boring. So um, women in non-binary voices in horror. We mm-hmm. did The Frighteners with Enola Lugosi from Slay Away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did Behind the Mask with Jessica Scott, who I know is a, a good it's friend. Lovely of, and amazing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, she's she's, she's fantastic. Love her. Mm-hmm. Um, then we did, um, we did Brightburn with Lindsay Travis, mm-hmm. who I think you might know. We may know. Right, maybe. Like, yeah. Who is uh, just fantastic. There is no one better. I mean, number one, like, I don't know anyone on the planet who is like more well-versed in talking like superhero movies mm-hmm. than Lindsay and combine that with her love for horror with Brightburn and you have like a killer episode. It was such a blast to get to talk to her. I absolutely mm-hmm. loved it. I, I, yeah, it was, I was honestly just kind of floored that she was on our little show. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, you are way too good for what we're doing here. I'm sorry. <laughs> See, I get to talk to her every, you know, almost every week for a year. So right? she's the best, you know, she's great. And we did um, dog soldiers with Kat Scully, mm-hmm. who I met on this Excellent. very podcast. Excellent. Um, and yeah. and then bringing we, people together. I mean, I, I would not, we, she would not have been on our podcast mm-hmm. once, let alone twice. Had I not been on the army mm-hmm. of darkness episode with her. So it was, yep. I mean, it's great, and we're gonna have her back. Yep. And I mean, Mike, you've been on a couple episodes. You talked. I'm sure, uh, I'll be back. Yeah, you. We've we've got we've got your next episode on the books, my friend. So what's the next one I'm doing? What am I doing? You are your. So last February or this past February, we did My Bloody Valentine from 1981. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this next February, we're gonna do My Bloody Valentine from 2009. Excellent. Okay, I'm ahead. And we are toying with the idea of just having you be our Valentine's Day guest and yeah. do the horror movie Valentine <laughs> okay. in 2023. I, would so, so. I love that movie so much. I love yep. Jamie Blanks. There you I go. Just, You're uh, on the books for that one too. I'm not all that long ago, if, man. Oh my god, good. I love that movie oh, I so love much. Valentine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I am totally down to do that. I love. I think Jamie Blanks knows how to direct the shit out of a slasher movie, like a a late nineties, early 2000 slasher. Love it. I love that movie. It is fantastic. Um, You're, you're, you're working yourself out to be our, our full-time Valentine's day episode. guest. Really? I mean, who better? 
who do you want? <laughs> you know, who better when it comes to like romance and sexy times? I agree. Who better than My, this guy. The I think one of the very first things you said on the on the first episode you were on, and I think you were only like our third guest ever on, like a, on disenfranchised like slabs of beef. One of the right. One of the first things you said, we we're like, "Hey, any plans for Valentine's Day?" You're like, "I don't know, maybe anal." And we're like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Mike. Uh, right on, dude. Like um, but then you also came on and talked the uh, the Friday the Thirteenth remake from 2009. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Brian, we had you on to talk Shocker, which was a uh-huh. great episode. Um, I still think that your 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 series on Wes Craven for Manor Vellum is just one of my favorite pieces of horror journalism that I have read ever um i go back and revisit it thanks i am i'm waiting for the book my friend i well you know i i i'm working on i'm working on some pitches for 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 some west craven stuff coming up here so uh, i really hope hopefully that book will be part of it at some Mm -hmm. point we're having you back not just for one but for two episodes coming up in the next couple of months so Mm -hmm. we're gonna do night of the creeps with you in december yes which you have you pitched almost immediately after we recorded Shocker. Like a, the next day, you're like Night of the Creeps. Put me down. I'm doing it. And so we're seriously like, where are we going to fit this in? <laughs> we're like, you know what? We got a spot in December. We're putting Brian in December. Yes, let's Excellent. do it. Excellent. And uh, and then you're coming in to actually on our Patreon. Uh, we're we're starting a new Patreon show mm-hmm. next month called Unenfranchised, where we talk about movies that killed franchises because mm-hmm. the podcast itself is about movies that were supposed to start franchises but mm-hmm. didn't. So we're talking about last movies and franchises. You're going to come mm. on right ahead of the new Scream film or the Scream reboot, I guess, to talk Scream 4. So The best look. Scream movie. And that is why you're going to be on because <laughs> I know you think – it's my second favorite because nothing okay. but white tops okay, the I, could, I don't know how, uh, how no. uh, <laughs> people are going to at me, man. I love it's, Scream 4. Like I, I don't fault you for that opinion wonderful. at all. Oh, man, yeah. uh, because I tell you what, of – there is no article I have ever written that got more venom in the comments mm-hmm. than my article on Scream 4. I don't understand why people don't like that movie. It's so uh, good. Oh it my is. god. It, it's the 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 thing was because it was I said in my opinion it is the best of the Scream movies. Mm-hmm. That well, is first how of all, dare you. How dare how you have dare an opinion, you? sir? How I dare know. you, sir? Show yourself well, up. The sir. thing is what was so sir, funny. This is an Arby's drive-through. What was so funny about that, okay. If I if I'm have an article coming out that John thinks I'm gonna get kind of attacked for, mm-hmm. he'll write me to let me know it's going up. Okay. <laughs> and so we said, hey, hey Brian, just, so just wanted to let you know your Scream Four article is going live, and mm-hmm. um, I back you 100 percent on this. Excellent. Is basically what he said. Can, can I tell you what what I love about Scream Four? Scream for the major, it's my second favorite scream. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the major theme of that movie is like you have this woman who lives in the shadow of her more famous relative, and all she wants to do is be f- more famous than her cousin Sydney mm-hmm. by any means possible. It's a movie about becoming living in the shadow of, of a more famous relative, it stars the brother of the kid who starred in home alone mm-hmm. and the niece of the biggest actress on the planet and Julia yep. Roberts. Mm-hmm. That is like the kind of like meta level casting that you can't really fake. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, it's, 
And both of them are phenomenal performers in their own right. It's not like, oh, they only got it because of nepotism. It's like, no, like, no, they're um, great. Rory McCulkin is like fucking fantastic. And Emma Roberts is like fantastic. But that, like, I'm like, remember why? I'm like, wait a minute. Like, her fucking, that's her. Julia Roberts is her goddamn aunt. I'm like, yeah. She's just brilliant. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Screets. And it was Wes's last movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, absolutely like love that movie love that movie so much yeah um on that note listeners all right so thank you like this is us getting back to i think what we do best i think really diving deep and covering and that's I what i want 20 at 21 oh oh my god i'm sorry <laughs> i will cut that part sorry um <laughs> you can leave it in i really love see that it. little scream floor tangent there Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> all right hold on steven <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. Where can they find you on the socials? Yeah, uh, you can. Hey, find that's me. great, fantastic. No, All right, good night, everybody. <laughs> Stephen, where 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 can our listeners find Disenfranchised or find you in the socials? Uh, yeah, so you can find Disenfranchised. We're uh, Disenfranch Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, uh, Facebook. Uh, you can find and engage with us all those places. Uh, and we are also, uh, or I am also on Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. So Excellent. you can find me there. Excellent. Guys, thank you so much for coming on with us. Really enjoyed this talk. Really nice kind of fun way to like relaunch and kind of like, all right, let's get back to the basics of what we do as a show. Um, So listeners, like on that note, um, yeah, it's been like a weird time. Like we haven't done a franchise movie in a little bit. We took a little break. I gave us a month off because I think we just needed it to recharge the batteries a bit after like almost three years of doing this. Um, and it was like there was a part of me that was like, is the show going to go away? Like there was definitely a part going like, all right, we had a really good run, like 120 something episodes. And I'm like, ah, I got a number in mind and we're not there yet. Uh, and I really enjoy doing the show. We do episodes like this. Like, I love it so much. Um, so we're going to keep it going with Gremlins 2 in a couple weeks uh, with our guest. Um, no, I'm not going to announce the guest right now, just in case something goes wrong and they can't record for some reason. But <laughs> we have Gremlins 2 coming up uh, in a couple weeks, and I'm really excited to talk that movie. Um, we got some great guests lined up for it in a real chaotic energy. Uh, basically, I would call it, if you were a Dungeons & Dragons player, we would call that like chaotic evil. Uh, it would probably be like the what I would call the energy of that movie. Um Here's what I want to do after that. And uh, listeners, give me your feedback because Scream 5 comes out in January. And there is no way I'm not covering Scream 5. Uh, as you know, like Scream is one of my favorite franchises. We held off on covering Halloween Kills this year because I think we're going to just do Kills and Ends next October once Halloween Ends comes out. But I got to cover Scream 5. But, you know, that would mean like doing a one-off movie in January and then relaunching into a new franchise in in February. I'm like, you know, what if we go all the way back to the beginning? Because if you listen to our first episode, my voice sounds really weird because I didn't record my dialogue in that episode. I had to go back and re-record it after the fact. So it sounds like I'm whispering a lot of the show. So we would get reviews like, why is he whispering in the first episode? It's like, it's sexy time, baby. (laughs) It's secret. Be quiet. Secret. Secret. We tell secrets here. But I'm thinking like, what if we did Scream? 
in January, kind of as a way to relaunch what we're doing and re- revisit that movie uh, with like a you know different panel of guests, um, and then do Scream Five, and then I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think starting in February we're going to kick into the Child's Play franchise. Oh. So people have been asking for it. Um, it's a great it's time to do it. Fun fucking right? movies. It's yeah. a good time to do it. Um, maybe Don Mancini will come on the show. I don't know. Yeah. Probably not. He will. I have never spoken with him before. So what? just no just, better time just, to start. Just spitballing, you know. Like, why not come on? Maybe Mark Hamill will come on. We'll do the remake. Uh, there you and go. Be like, I like the remake, Mister Hamill. I think it's actually pretty great. And he'll tell me, "Shut up, kid." And I'm like, "Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, Mister Hamill. Absolutely." Um. But I'm thinking like Scream and then Scream 5 in January. Um, in the meantime, do us a favor. Follow us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. Uh, we're a fun follow when I post. I do stupid polls. Uh, you people rated Rock, Rocky 4 is a better Christmas movie than It's a Wonderful Life because there <laughs> are no beautiful things in this world. You're um, maniacs and we can't have anything nice. Yeah, but can't have anything nice. Um but follow us there. Follow us. Oh, follow me over in Letterbox at Mike Chump Change. It looks like early next year we'll have a website, um, so you'll be able to like kind of get everything all in one place. Rate, review, and subscribe to us, especially over in iTunes. Um, I say this a lot. We haven't, you know, we've gotten a couple reviews recently, but it's slowed down a bit. But when you review the show, especially a five star review and a few kind words, it definitely helps. The algorithm, which then helps new listeners find us, which we really appreciate. We have a Patreon. I've put it on pause until December, January, because I'm not able to record any bonus content. And I just don't feel like if we're going to do a Patreon, we owe it to the people that are subscribing to give them content. So we paused it for right now, including people that are already subscribed, so they don't get dinged anything. But we'll come back and pitch that a bit harder um, in the new year. And I think I have some ideas to make it a bit more fun and do some more stuff there that are manageable. Find me at Mike underscore Snoonian and listen to my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, uh, where we dive into the deep topics of mental health with my co-hosts, Jen and Lara. In December, we're doing body dysmorphia. So we just did Stephen King's Thinner. And oh boy, as a fat kid, did I have thoughts on that movie. No doubt. So yeah, it was it's gonna be a fun listen. But until then try losing a hundred pounds and think about I know dysmorphia too. Yeah. Oh Oh, man, man. that was a wild, wild thing. Wild ride. Yeah. So I I'll say this, like people have told me, like, oh Mike, you've lost weight, and like that's a trigger for me. I'm like, great, I'm gonna go eat my weight in McGriddles, you know. So, it's just yeah. wild, isn't it? Yeah. But it is, uh, but it's a good time. So, on that happy note, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode on Gremlins. We'll be back in a couple weeks with Gremlins 2. And say, hope you're enjoying the holiday season and everything else out there. Take care, y'all. And we are done.